the point is jot down a couple things. Get one or two takeaways from each person you talk to, all your mentors, all your podcasts, all your books. And over time, it's that compounding effect that makes the big difference And you will see that happen. That's my firm belief. It just takes some time. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, Best Ever listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Actively Passive Investing Show. As always, I'm Theo Hicks with Travis Watts. Travis, how are you doing today? Doing great, Theo. Happy to be back. So I'm really looking forward to this topic. We're going to dive into some stories that I have and that Travis has because the topics of today are things to know before investing in real estate. I'm going to talk about my stories from actively investing perspective and then apply it to passively investing. And I'm sure Travis is going to do a little bit of both because he's done active and passive. But the whole idea here is to provide some mistakes, clumps in the road that we've experienced, and then the takeaways we've gotten from those so that, as Travis is going to say, we're able to learn from other people's mistakes and not have to do them ourselves. So uh, Travis is always going to give us some reflections on why we are talking about this topic today. Yep, that's exactly it. The the famous quote, (laughs) forget who quotes it, but We all learn from mistakes, but those mistakes don't have to be our own. So that's very true just from a human standpoint. But that's the point of this is to help everybody listening circumvent these circumstances. So to your point, some tidbits, some advice to help all the listeners make better decisions. I'm curious to hear your stories. We haven't discussed any of this prehand and vice versa. So stories of success and failure. And I'll let you start, Theo, if you want to pinpoint one or two, and then I'll dive into some as well. Yeah. So mine are going to be focused on stories of failure. So I've got two things that I wish I knew before investing. And funnily enough, both of these lessons really apply to a lot of the things we've talked about on the show before. So the first one is the focus on doing your proper due diligence. And then the second one is the importance of having experienced team members, not just team members. Again, these are active investing, but I'll twist them into how they can apply to passive investing. So for proper due diligence, I bought three fourplexes in one go. They're all on the same road. They were definitely older, I think, built in the 50s or the 60s. And they all had boilers. And so I had never bought a property that had boilers before. So I had the inspector go through. He inspected everything. And there's a couple of things that came up that were not necessarily deal breakers. So I moved forward. Didn't really go to the price. Just moved forward. I think I bought them in late summer, early fall. So winter comes around and looked up what you're supposed to do for boilers. I said, you need to basically get them turned on. So I find some guy to come out and basically just turn the boilers on for me. And he goes there and he essentially identifies all of the problems, not only with the boilers themselves, but the radiators in the actual units. So it costs so much money <laughs> to put band-aids on the boilers and to put band-aids on the radiators. And he walked me through once he identified all the problems And they were so obvious. You could just look and see that this radiator was completely rusted out. But the problem was that the inspector that I used didn't specialize in boilers. And I learned that boilers are more or less unique, at least in this area that I was investing. So you had to find someone who specializes in boilers to look at them. These boilers, they were so old and probably original. So obviously the lesson here is you need to do your due diligence, but 
like you need to have that understanding of what to even do due diligence on in the first place, which mm-hmm. kind of plays into my next point about having experienced team members that realize, hey, you should probably have these boilers looked at. But the whole point is that I could have saved myself a lot of money and stress by doing that due diligence up front. So as a passive investor, you know, when it comes to doing due diligence on the team, the market, the deal, you can just look at it on paper and say, oh, this looks really good and not really dig any deeper. And you might be okay, but you might also have the equivalent of a rusted out boiler occur at some point during the deal. So again, one thing I wish I knew beforehand was how important doing your proper due diligence was and actually diving deep and not just doing the surface level stuff. So that's number one. And the second one, again, kind of plays into the number one, but that is experienced team members. So the story here is that I was actively managing my own property. I was the property manager and I was not a fan of it at all. So I decided to get a property management company. So after the whole boiler debacle, I wanted to make up some of the income by getting a property management company that would basically charge me the least amount. So I used someone who had a very small portfolio of properties they're managing at the time. And by taking on my portfolio, it essentially doubled their units under management. I don't go into too much detail, really nice people, but in a sense, they were learning on my dime. They hadn't managed that many properties before. They didn't have the efficiencies that a large property management company will have. They were really implementing the best practices. So as a result, I was paying them less money, but the cost savings that were missed or the extra expenses that came from that more than offset <laughs> the amount of money I was saving, or I was probably spending more money. So the lesson here is it's better to pay a little bit more for someone who knows what they're doing than to pay someone a little bit less, but then have them literally learn on your dime. So in a sense, it's kind of what the whole path of investing strategy is in the first place. You can kind of go out there and figure it out yourself, or you can hire that experienced syndicator who knows what they're doing is not necessarily learning on your dime. So it's fine. I'm sure people will invest with someone in their first deal and it could work out perfectly fine, but I would much rather invest with someone who's been doing this for a long time. Just like I should have hired a property management company that was managing properties for a very long time. So those are the two biggest things that I could think of that I wish I knew beforehand, the due diligence and then the experienced team members. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. One of the hardest tasks to balance while scaling your real estate investing business is accounting. Well, realestateaccounting.co takes care of the numbers for you so you can grow your business and revenue. REA helps property managers and investors save time and money by automating back office, financial, admin, and accounting. Starting is quick and seamless from accounts payable to reconciliations, taxes, and reporting. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever to find out how REA clients save on average 30% by leveraging their accounting services versus hiring in-house. With CPAs on staff and being owner-operators themselves, REA knows the challenges of your growing real estate business. Try it risk-free at realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. And remember to mention the Best Ever Podcast sent you to receive up to $1,800 towards onboarding and services. That's realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach 
will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. For anyone who's ever had a property or a single family home that they live in with a boiler, <laughs> it can be a lot of trouble. I only had one house, thankfully, that had a boiler, 1932 built. And it was at that point where when we moved in, it's, should we upgrade this system, just go modern or just keep it in place? And to your point, it's very expensive to maintenance them. So we made the decision to keep it in place. That thing flooded our basement. I was always down there having to clean this thing out. To your point, it was rusty and you dumping these nasty buckets of water all the time. It was nothing but complications. <laughs> Somewhat efficient on just the heat and your overall bills, but then the second something goes wrong, it's thousands of dollars. So I guess you got to put that in perspective. So that could certainly be a red flag too. If you're a passive investor, someone's buying an apartment complex and they have lots of boiler systems, just keep in mind if they're washing over that, like, ah, no big deal. It'll be fine. It may not be fine. (laughs) So great point. And then to the point of specialty, love it. We've talked before. My story on that was about finding a CPA that specializes in what you do particularly. And it wasn't until I made that shift that I realized, hey, I'm now saving tens of thousands of dollars. That's pretty critical. Where I was trying to cheap out before because I had a tax prep service, wasn't even a CPA. It was just a tax prep service. And I was paying them next to nothing a couple hundred bucks for my tax returns. Well, now I pay almost five grand for tax returns. I have to file two, but still I'm saving so much money because they specialize in proactive approaches and strategizing and planning. So it is so important to find specialty. So great topics. Love those. Okay. So a couple for me, since you went with the failure route, I'm going to go with the other side of the coin (laughs) to kind of balance it out. I was thinking about that as you were talking. So I don't want to be a doomsday episode with all of our stories. So number one to me, and we've talked about it a lot, but it's the foundation for me is having a mentor and self-education. So nothing cuts the learning curve like somebody who is experienced, somebody who's done what you want to do successfully and being able to meet with these people, whether that means paying for a mentorship or a program or a coaching or it just means networking and finding a buddy, whatever it is. And I've mentioned this before in 2015, I read 52 books that year. Wow, cool. You would think that's a great thing, but what can a book not do at the end of that year? It couldn't tell me about the current status of the economy. It couldn't tell me if that book were in my shoes, what actions would it take? It wasn't a mentor. It was a mentor of sorts that helped open my mind to bigger ideas but there was no practical immediate takeaway or action from it. So mentors are just invaluable or they can be, I should say. I mean, not every mentor is a great mentor and mentors change too. You may need a mentor to get you to the next level. And then that mentor is no longer relevant for what you need to do now. So mentors change. It's just this idea that you're leveraging people's knowledge and experience above you. That's really what it comes down to. So found a couple mentors in 2015, quick story on that. This is when I was shifting from single family home investing to multifamily syndication investing. And I found a couple guys who 
were in their 60s and 70s, and they've been full-time limited partners for decades. And that was a route that I was exploring at the time. Is this right for me, basically? And if so, I'd like to find someone that's actually done it and pick their brain. So this is exactly how that unfolded. They opened up to me. They shared their experiences. I fell in love with the concept of being a full-time passive investor and the rest is history. Six years later, that's what I do. So it can be huge. So that'd be number one. Number two is just knowing that you can passively invest. Right now, I'm helping my nephews <laughs> learn passive investing. The youngest is 14 and the oldest is about to turn 19. And I've opened brokerage accounts for them and a couple are custodial accounts. But just starting with 100 bucks, teaching them this concept that if you buy a publicly traded REIT that does monthly distributions, even if you're only getting a dollar a month, this is passive income. This is income coming into your portfolio you're not having to work for. And all you got to do from here is scale it up. Every time you got an extra hundred bucks, put it in your brokerage account. When you get a thousand bucks, put it in your brokerage account. And one day, hopefully they'll take that serious. And over 20, 30 years, they'll be so far ahead of most of their peers and having actual cash flow that they can live on and have choices in life with. So when I started in 2009 in real estate, I just thought that real estate investing meant buy a single family house and self-manage it or flip it. There's only two things you can ever do in this world. <laughs> this is my mindset back then. Flip a house or buy and hold. So I discovered so much more with short-term rentals and with house hacking and with all these creative outlets. But ultimately, as many know how my story unfolds, after five, six years of doing everything myself, to your point earlier, Theo, self-managing, building these teams, finding out a lot of teams aren't competent. I cheaped out on a property management company that promised me the world. And then ultimately they quit on me <laughs> because I had some tenants that were kind of rough and tough to deal with. And it just wasn't worth their time for what they were getting paid. It was like, Hey, we're dropping you as a client. And, and it really sucks just to learn all this. And what I learned through this whole process was why am I actively in real estate. The foundation of our show, the actively passive show is to talk about active and passive components to investing. So active is actively participating in the business of real estate. It's finding your own deals. It's doing your own underwriting and or it doesn't have to be all of this, managing your own properties, finding property managers to manage your properties, deciding when to refinance or sell. These are active strategies. These are active components. And I didn't realize you don't have to do that. <laughs> you can invest in real estate and you can be passive. So what does that mean? I just pulled up actually the definition right before our show, just to give this. So a passive investor, basically passive investor is one who does not participate in the day-to-day -day decisions of running a company in partnerships. Such investors may be deemed limited partners rather than general partners. That's exactly it. So I'm talking about being a passive investor in real estate private placements, aka syndications, or like my nephews are doing, buying REITs and stocks that give out dividends or interest and stuff like that. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group 
to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. Wrote a blog about a year ago. Can't remember exactly when. I think it's on joefairless.com. How to earn less and have more. This was my key pivot moment. This was the big picture for me. So what it paints in this blog is you could have $300,000 a year, let's say, in total income working 80 hours per week. Or you could have $200,000 per year in income working 40 hours per week. And the whole point was, if you read through the blog, it's about quality of life. I used to work 100-hour work weeks, and I would try to do single-family investing on the side of that. So all in all, I don't know, 110, 120 hours a week, it was ridiculous. And I had no life. So when you do that long enough, money, to me anyway, quits mattering. It's like everyone said, do you want to be the richest person in the graveyard? At a certain point, you need to live your life. That's my philosophy on it. So I'm much more inclined to take that option of 200K a year working 40 hours per week, where at least I have a balance of quality there. So that was the biggest moment is active or passive right for you. Well, it depends. And maybe you're kind of a combination, but if all you do is active everything, you burn out, you max out, you start thinking, am I just chasing dollars here? And what's the point over time? So Finding that balance is critical. I think that's what passive income can provide to people. So what is your time worth is the lesson learned. I discovered that basically giving up a little bit of profit, managing all the single family homes, working 100 hours a week, moving away from that kind of model gave me my life back. And to me, time was more important than money, basically. And that realization was a game changer. So those are my top two. I really like that concept of there's the ROI, but there's also the ROT, the return on your time. And so in that $200,000 working 40 hours a week example versus the $300,000 working 80 hours a week, sure you're making more money in one scenario, but that's not really the only metric that matters. You need to also look at how much time you're actually investing, which might arguably be more important than the amount of money that you're investing. And that was kind of the biggest eye-opening for me was like I could buy these properties myself and deal with dumb boiler issues and have to deal with investing a lot of time and also energy and stress. Even though I'm not necessarily at the property doing stuff, I'm thinking about it and it's taken away from my energy from other things to make a 15% ROI, or I could just passively invest and spend 10 times less time and energy to make half as much. The ROT is so much higher for the first one or the return on energy or whatever you want to call it. I could totally agree with what you're talking about in that second one. And for the first one, I'm not sure if this necessarily relates to passively or how it would, but a big thing for me when it comes to having a mentor, because there's the pay them option. It's like someone you know or have built a relationship with and they do it for free. But then the third way, which is to actually work for that individual, which is what I did. So again, not necessarily sure exactly how that would work for passive investing. So we're talking about things I know before getting into real estate. If you want to learn something, the best way to learn is to actually do it. And the best way to do it and to learn from other people's mistakes, as we're talking about in the first place, is to work for someone who is further ahead than you are, right? So they're able to do things that you just can't do because you don't have the relationships or the time or the money or the experience to do. So that's kind of what happened with Joe, where Joe already had a couple of syndication deals and already had the infrastructure. I worked for him for free for a while and 
learned so much. Now I have a full-time job working for Joe. So again, not exactly sure how that would apply to past investing, but definitely along the same lines of having a mentor. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you one quick way how that relates to passive investing. A lot of people just working in director of investor relations at Ashcroft with Joe, a lot of people come in with the goal or the mindset of eventually they want to be a general partner. They want to run their own syndications, but they recognize it. They need a little more mentorship and training. They come in as LPs in the deals so that they can learn how we do the underwriting, how we do the reporting, what works and what doesn't, what's their approach, how do they address these different scenarios. They learn so much from that, even indirectly. Plus, of course, they have communication open to all of us there, including Joe. And then years later, they start doing their own deals. So that's one form of mentorship as an LP. That's a good point. Mitch, you have a blog post, something along the lines of, of why I passively invest in other syndications as a blog that mm-hmm. Joe wrote and explains why he as a active GP passively invests is kind of for what Travis talks about. So a little bit different because Joe's obviously already doing it, but the whole point is to explain yeah. how passively investing in syndications can help you become a better general partner or eventually transition you from being an LP to a GP. Yeah. So those are the two things that I learned. And then I guess two extra things based on what Travis talked about. Travis, is there anything else you want to mention before we sign off? Bottom line, education starts here. Thank you everybody for tuning in to episodes like this. My take on episodes like this and anything you read, any podcast or seminar is that you're probably not going to have major breakthrough moment in a 20 minute episode or in one book that you read. But the point is jot down a couple things. Get one or two takeaways from each person you talk to, all your mentors, all your podcasts, all your books. And over time, it's that compounding effect that makes the big difference. And you will see that happen. That's my firm belief. It just takes some time. So even if one thing resonated out of this that you took away, jot it down, put that in the storage bank, (laughs) and then just keep adding to it. And over time, you're going to realize a tremendous compounding effect. It's something that Charlie Munger talks about all the time, Warren Buffett's business partner. Try to go to bed each night a little wiser than when you woke up. That's the key. You're not trying to hit these home runs or these big epiphanies every day or every week or every year, but over time it'll pay off. That's it. And just to add one follow-up thing, I was talking to someone and they were talking about how they had this great idea while they were doing something, but then they forgot about it and they lost it. So obviously some people are doing a lot of this self-education while they're driving. So I'm not recommending doing this while they're driving, but (laughs) you always have your phone with you. So just open up an app, open up your notes or text it to your significant other. So that way you have it and you don't have to try to recall it later. So when you're listening to self-help or in a walk or something, or you have some idea of some content you want to create, again, it's super straightforward, but I thought it was interesting that I just recently had a conversation with someone who forgot something. It was like, put in your phone, you'll be be fine. So (laughs) Travis, thanks again for joining us and telling us the two things that you wish you knew before investing in real estate. So we have a total of four things to know before investing in real estate today. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. If you want us to talk about a certain topic, or if you want us to cover a topic on our 60-second question segment, you can email me, Theo, at JoeFairless.com, and we will add that to the queue. So thank you for tuning in. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo. Thanks, everybody.